Chapter 50 of Mary Marston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by INT Josh. Mary Marston by George MacDonald. Chapter 50 William and Mary Marston. The same day on which Turnbull opened his new shop, a man was seen on a ladder painting out the sign above the old one, but the paint took time to dry. The same day, also, Mary returned to Testbridge, and going in by the kitchen door, went up to her father's room, of which, and of her own, she had kept the keys, to the indignation of Turnbull, who declared he did not know how to get on without them for storage. But for all his bluster, he was afraid of Mary, and did not dare touch anything she had left. That night she spent alone in the house, but she could not sleep. She got up and went down to the shop. It was a bright, moonlit night, and all the house, even where the moon could not enter, was full of glimmer and gleam, except the shop. There she lighted a candle, sat down on a pile of goods, and gave herself up to memories of the past. Back and back went her thoughts, as far as she could send them. God was everywhere in all the story and the clearer she saw him there, the surer she was that she would find him as she went on. She was neither sad nor fearful. The dead hours of the night came, that valley of the shadow of death where faith seems to grow weary and sleep, and all the things of the shadow wake up and come out and say, Here we are, and there is nothing but us and our kind in the universe. They woke up and came out upon Mary now, but she fought them off, Either there is mighty, triumphant life at the root and apex of all things, or life is not. And whence, then, the power of dreaming horrors? It is life alone, life imperfect, that can fear. Death cannot fear. Even the terror that walketh by night is a proof that I live, and that it shall not prevail against me. And to Mary, besides her heavenly father, her William Marston seemed near all the time. Wherever she turned, she saw the signs of him, and she pleased herself to think that perhaps he was there to welcome her. But it would not have made her the least sad to know for certain that he was far off and would never come near her again in this world. She knew that, despite of time and space, she was and must be near him so long as she loved and did the truth. She knew there was no bond so strong, none so close, none so lasting as the truth. In God alone, who is the truth, can creatures meet. The place was left in sad confusion and dirt, and she did not a little that night, to restore order at least. But at length she was tired and went up to her room. On the first landing there was a window to the street. She stopped and looked out, candle in hand, but drew back with a start. On the opposite side of the way stood a man, looking up, she thought, at the house. She hastened to her room and to bed. If God was not watching, no waking was of use, and if God was watching, she might sleep in peace. She did sleep, and woke refreshed. Her first care in the morning was to write to Letty, with the result I have set down. The next thing she did was to go and ask Beanie to give her some breakfast. The old woman was delighted to see her, and ready to lock her door at once and go back to her old quarters. 
They returned together while Testbridge was yet but half awake. Many things had to be done before the shop could be opened. Beanie went after charwoman, and soon a great bustle of cleaning arose. But the door was kept shut, and the front windows. In the afternoon, Letty came fresh from misery into more than counterbalancing joy. She took time but to put off her bonnet and shawl, and was presently at work helping Mary, cheerful as hope and a good conscience could make her. Mary was in no hurry to open the shop. There was stock to be taken. Many things had to be rearranged, and not a few things to be added before she could begin with comfort, and she must see to it all herself, for she was determined to engage no assistant until she could give her orders without hesitation. She was soon satisfied that she could not do better than make a proposal to Letty, which she had for some time contemplated, namely that she should take up her permanent abode with her and help her in the shop. Letty was charmed, nor ever thought of the annoyance it would be to her aunt. Mary had thought of that, but saw that for Letty to allow the prejudices of her aunt to influence her would be to order her life not by the law of that God whose son was a workingman, but after the whim and folly of an ill-educated old woman. A new spring of life seemed to bubble up in Letty the moment Mary mentioned the matter, and in serving she soon proved herself one after Mary's own heart. Letty's day was henceforth without a care, and her rest was sweet to her. Many customers were even more pleased with her than with Mary. Before long, Mary, besides her salary, gave her a small share in the business. Mrs. Warder carried her custom to the Turnbulls. When the paint was dry, which obliterated the old sign, people saw the new one begin with an M, and the sign-writer went on until there stood in full Mary Marston. Mr. Brett hinted he would rather have seen it without the Christian name, but Mary insisted she would do and be nothing she would not hold just that name to and on the sign her own name neither more nor less should stand. She would have liked, she said, to make it William and Mary Marston, for the business was to go on exactly as her father had taught her. The spirit of her father should never be out of the place, and if she failed, of which she had no fear, she would fail trying to carry out his ideas. But people were too dull to understand, and she therefore set the sign so in her heart only. Her old friends soon began to come about her again, and it was not many weeks before she saw fit to go to London to add to her stock. The evening of her return, as she and Letty sat over a late tea, a silence fell, during which Letty had a brooding fit. "'I wonder how Cousin Godfrey is getting on,' she said at last, and smiled sadly. "'How do you mean getting on?' asked Mary. "'I was wondering whether Miss Yolland and he—' Mary started from her seat, white as the tablecloth. Letty, she said in a voice of utter dismay, you don't mean that woman is, is making friends with him? I saw them together more than once, and they seemed, well, on very good terms. Then it is all over with him, cried Mary in despair. Oh, Letty, what is to be done? Why didn't you tell me before? He'll be madly in love with her by this time. They always are. But where's the harm, Mary? She's a very handsome lady, and of a good family. We're all of good enough family, said Mary a little petulantly. But Miss Yolland, Letty, that Miss Yolland, she's a bad woman, Letty. I never heard you say such a hard word of anybody before, Mary. It frightens me to hear you. It's a true word of her, Letty. How can you be so sure? 
Mary was silent. There was that about Letty that made the maiden shrink from telling the married woman what she knew. Besides, insofar as Tom had been concerned, she could not bring herself, even without mentioning his name, to talk of him to his wife. There was no evil to be prevented, and no good to be done by it. If Letty was ever to know those passages in his life, she must hear them first in high places, and from the lips of the repentant man himself. "'I cannot tell you, Letty,' she said. "'You know the two bonds of friendship are the right of silence and the duty of speech. I dare say you have some things which, truly as I know you love me, you neither wish nor feel at liberty to tell me.' Letty thought of what had so lately passed between her and her cousin Godfrey, and felt almost guilty. She never thought of one of the many things Tom had done or said that had cut her to the heart. Those had no longer any existence. They were swallowed in the gulf of forgetful love, dismissed even as God casts the sins of his children behind his back. Behind God's back is just nowhere. She did not answer, and again there was silence for a time, during which Mary kept walking about the room, her hands clasped behind her, the fingers interlaced, and twisted with a strain almost fierce. "'There's no time, there's no time,' she cried at length. "'How are we to find out? "'And if we knew all about it, what could we do? "'Oh, Letty, what am I to do?' "'Anyhow, Mary dear, you can't be to blame. "'One would think you fancied yourself accountable for Cousin Godfrey. "'I am accountable for him. "'He has done more for me than any man but my father, "'and I know what he does not know, "'and what the ignorance of will be his ruin.' I know that one of the best men in the world, so in her agony she called him, is in danger of being married by one of the worst women, and I can't bear it. I can't bear it. Well, what can you do, Mary? That's what I want to know, returned Mary with irritation. What am I to do? What am I to do? If he's in love with her, he wouldn't believe a word anyone, even you, told him against her. That is true, I suppose, but it won't clear me. I must do something. She threw herself on the couch with a groan. It's horrid, she cried, and buried her face in the pillow. All this time Letty had been so bewildered by Mary's agitation, and the cause of it was to her so vague that apprehension for her cousin did not wake. But when Mary was silent, then came the thought that if she had not so repulsed him, but she could not help it, and would not think in that direction. Mary started from the couch and began again to pace the room, wringing her hands and walking up and down like a wild beast in its cage. It was so unlike her to be thus seriously discomposed that Letty began to be frightened. She sat silent and looked at her, then spoke the spirit of truth in the scholar, for the teacher was too troubled to hear. She rose and, going up to Mary from behind, put her arm around her and whispered in her ear, "'Mary, why don't you ask Jesus?' Mary stopped short and looked at Letty. She was not thinking about her. She was questioning herself why she had not done as Letty said. Something was wrong with her. That was clear. Nothing else was. She threw herself again on the couch, and Letty saw her body heaving with her sobs. Then Letty was more frightened and feared she had done wrong. Was it her part to remind Mary of what she knew so much better than she? But then I was only referring her to herself, she thought. A few minutes, and Mary rose. Her face was wet and white. But perplexity had vanished from it, and resolution had taken its place. She threw her arms around Letty, and kissed her, and held her face against hers. Letty had never seen in her such an expression of emotion and tenderness. "'I have found out, Letty, dear,' she said. "'Thank you, thank you, Letty. You are a true sister. What have you found out, Mary?' 
i have found out why i did not go at once to ask him what i ought to do it was just because i was afraid of what he would tell me to do and with that the tears ran down her cheeks afresh then you know now what to do asked letty yes answered mary and sat down end of chapter fifty william and mary marston